0: on the rocks and And we're
1: on the rocks
0: rocks, but we're still also apart
1: (laughs) yes we're still in separate towns (laughs) yes but you know
0: everybody else is too yeah we're hanging in there loving um you know the quarantine 15
1: (laughs) you've only put on 15 good for you Um, probably,
0: hopefully not that much. I haven't even tried to look, but I'm pretty sure I haven't eaten a vegetable in
1: days. Oh my gosh. I'm scared to look because I, yeah, (laughs) I made the mistake. I've been enjoying, um, Bailey's and coffee. I made the mistake of looking up how much many calories are in a shot of Bailey's. Oh, don't even tell me. No, no. If you're enjoying your Baileys and coffee in the morning now that you're at home, don't look at the calories.
0: Well, I made oatmeal, peanut butter, chocolate chip cookies earlier this morning.
1: Ooh.
0: So I have that to look forward to. So yeah. Yeah. Maybe next week I'll
1: do better. Children have been making cookies. Um, They've been being consumed. I have gotten into the sourdough craves and we have constantly had a loaf of sourdough bread on the counter lasts maybe a day and a half and then I have to make another one because I made a lot of toast consumed. And-
0: I don't haven't gotten in the sourdough craze but I did make one of your favorites the beer bread
1: we have not made the beer bread because we have not been able to find self-rising flour I should just try it with the baking soda but I never have. Um, And now it's warm outside. And to me, beer bread is a cold weather thing.
0: Yeah, I made this, I made it um, last weekend when it was kind of medium. And I did use just the ordinary flour and, um, is it baking powder? Yeah, baking powder. How did that work? It it worked totally fine. And I got rid of a beer that we
1: didn't like. There you go. Have you tried it with different varieties of beers does the beer influence the taste i think so i mean i don't make it
0: frequently enough to know but we had this bottle of like some weird um budweiser that was aged in bourbon barrels and it was gross
1: yeah that doesn't sound good so but it was it was good in the bread huh i had an old bottle of pale ale once and i made pancakes with it and it definitely distinctly changed the taste of the pancakes
0: Oh yeah, that's like I think a light, a lighter texture. Cause like beer bread, you know, it has like a stick of butter in it as well. So
1: there's <laughs> yes. that. It is a little heavier, denser food. It may sure. not be as um influenced as heavily. So if you're wondering what we're talking about, I use beer for my pancakes because it leavens them better. It makes them, I'm showing you with my fingers, it makes them fluffier. And then the beer bread recipe that we're talking about, should we just tell people or should we make them like earn it by like emailing us or something?
0: I mean, you can just Google it also. So, cause it's it. that easy.
1: <laughs> I love beer bread. It's absolutely amazing. It's um, a beer, three cups of self-rising flour, half a cup of sugar and salt to taste. And then mix it all up, put it in the oven at 375 for an hour. But before you do that, pour an entire stick of butter on top. Yes, it has. To, it
0: must be an entire stick of butter.
1: And then I'll take the sides of the dough and pull it away from the pan so that the butter slides down in between the dough and the pan too.
0: The recipe that I read had a suggestion that I tried and it seemed to work out well. It said that you should sift the flour versus just like packing it because it comes out like a lighter bread versus a super dense bread oh it,
1: yeah that would make a huge difference because yeah. it would not mine is always kind of like chunky but it reminds me of like good old midwestern hearty folks i think just we like just stick your ribs food
0: i think we just changed our theme to crime and time in the oven
1: i was just gonna say welcome to bread talk
0: <laughs> crime and but, yeah. time in the oven
1: <laughs> bread is fun and maybe another time we'll talk about my sourdough because it's delicious as well I want to talk about this drink because this is my favorite drink and
0: you make the best mine is only a reasonable facsimile I wish I was at your house right now
1: to have yours yeah mine are kind of good um I cannot take full credit for mine because husband and I found this recipe like way way in the early days of internet when we first started dating um I wanted to try a local grocery store has a whiskey sour mix, but it's red. Hmm. And my intention was to go get that and have one of each and compare them. But I did not do that because, you know, planning.
0: Yeah. So I guess people have realized by now we're drinking whiskey sours.
1: Whiskey sours. So here is the recipe for whiskey sours. And my poor, who is husband now, was boyfriend at the time, um, I worked at a bar and I would get off work at two o'clock, well, more like three, because by the time you cleaned and everything, and they would all have been drinking at the bar. Well, I'm just getting started now because I'm now off work. So he would have to go home from the bars and make this drink for me because this is all I wanted to drink. And it's the traditional whiskey sour, which is over crushed ice, a shot or more of whiskey, Then you fill the remainder of the glass about three quarters full of lemon juice. Oh, Scratch that. So poor boyfriend at the time, husband now had to make this drink. And it is crush ice, fill the glass full of ice, then put a heaping tablespoon of powdered sugar on top of the ice. Over the top of the powdered sugar, you pour a shot or more of whiskey whiskey of choice at the time we drank canadian mist because we were too poor to afford canadian club <laughs> and that's what was popular at the time so and then over that you fill the remainder of the glass about three quarters full with lemon juice just straight lemon juice and then top it off with club soda and mix
0: so i did mine about two-thirds lemon juice and one-third lime juice ooh and, um, I tested it out the other day and I liked uh-huh. it. So I think it might be my new, like, I don't know. It just adds a little more something for me.
1: Does it? I have wine juice in the refrigerator. I might add some of that in when I finish, when I drink some of this down. So mine is sitting here getting watered down and I want to try Yeah, it. let's, let's try it. Okay. Cause we don't know what these taste like, of course. <laughs> that's my whiskey sour. Yum. Yeah, that's good. It's not too sweet. Mine isn't sweet at all. You can taste the um, whiskey distinctly, and then it's just got that sour after it, but it's cut by the or It's tamed by the powdered sugar, I'll say. Yeah,
0: mine's just sweet enough, not too sweet, so I'm happy with it. Yeah. And I used Crown Royal because that's what we have, and it tends to be sweeter than a lot of whiskeys anyway, so I didn't add as much powdered no. sugar as I thought I should.
1: Yeah, it is. Um, Crown Royal is sweeter. I'm not a Crown Royal fan. I've used uh, Maker's Mark because we had Maker's Mark or Bushmills and I didn't want to mix Bushmills.
0: I would have used Maker's Mark or ideally my favorite Buffalo Trace if I had Mm -hmm. all the options, but this is what we had.
1: Yeah. I got a Buffalo Trace ad on my Facebook the other day. (laughs) Target, targeted ads. Totally. Okay. So who's going to go first today?
0: Um, it doesn't matter. Mine's, mine's kind of more lighthearted. I would say it's not real deep and
1: dreadful. So mine's deep and dreadful. It's got a lighthearted ending, but it's deep and dreadful. So I, um, (laughs) I'm going to put a trigger warning on this at the beginning. If you were scared and appalled by our William Wallace episode, I'll tell you when to shut us off. (laughs) Fast forward. Fast forward. (laughs) As for it. Don't shut us off. So I um, was planning on, when I saw Whiskey Sour, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to do the sugar industry because the sugar industry is amazing. And it literally shaped not only our nation, but our world. The entire world's economy was shaped by sugar. And yeah. I thought, oh, that'll be really interesting and I'll do that, blah, blah, blah. Save
0: it for another time.
1: Yes, because I'm researching sugar and I fell down the rabbit hole that is the... 1811 German coast slave uprising. Oh wow. Never heard of it you say? Neither had I. (laughs) Mine's a story that I hadn't heard of either
0: and there wasn't a lot in um, English press about it so.
1: Interesting. So I have a very long list of sources and I don't know if we should list them here or put them in notes. Um New York Times, Zen Education, Whitney Plantation, Louisiana Feed Soul, U.S. History Sense, Acadian Cajun Genealogy, Smithsonian Genealogist Trace, Black Past, American Black History, Slavery Remembrance, Black American Web, PBS, and NPR. So I just did them fast. (laughs) All right, so my story. Sugar has A fascinating history, I've already mentioned, it's a crop or product that has, no one needs it, but everyone wants it. And there's even controversy about whether it's addictive and bad for your health and blah, blah, blah. But the entire world's economy, growth and economic development was based on this crop. Um, It got very, very profitable with the introduction of the African slave the European indentured servants that had previously been working sugar kept dying of all these diseases like malaria and stuff in the tropical areas where sugar grew. So they couldn't keep the indentured alive and they would capture the Native American slaves and try to use them, but they kept dying of things like smallpox and all the things that the Europeans brought with them. Can't believe everybody's
0: dying for sugar.
1: I know, how dare they? So can't keep your slaves alive, bring in slaves that are used to the tropical climate and have already been exposed to the Western diseases. That's what started everything and they started bringing in the slaves. Um, It really didn't take off take off until around 1895 when Etienne de Boer, who was a New Orleans planter, came up with a process to granulate the sugar crystals. With, I think, child is trying to get Big Dog to go upstairs. So that is the click, click that you hear. can't hear it. Oh, good. Um, so he came up with a way to granulate sugar crystals, and the industry just went crazy. So Once before you could granulate, it was granulated. granulated? Before it was, it was like granulated? Syrup. Huh? Syrup? And from everything I researched, it was like a syrup. Oh, okay. Or like a hunk. They had a sugar nibbing tool that they would give it to you in like a cake, and you would break pieces off that's not convenient no not at all so the granulation was kind of a huge um, step so now it's um popular although i did read one source that i didn't write anything about it but it said um the sugar plantation was very expensive to set up and expensive to run so this one quote on something that i read said it takes a very rich cotton planter to become a very poor sugar planter.
0: Oh no, that's, it's kind of like, I've been watching a lot of bar rescue and Uh kitchen nightmares and like everybody, like all these investors, like they have all this money and then they go into the business and instantly just like sink.
1: Yes, restaurants and bars are one of the most difficult businesses to survive in. So sugar been planted in Louisiana for some time, um, that before in the 1880s Jean saint malo was a louisiana slave um, escaped for a time and he established a colony hidden in the backwood swamps below new orleans and they were called maroons they will be important later remember maroons that is the dishwasher beeping um normally when we're in the podcast podcast nook you cannot hear the dishwasher but i'm right next to it right now So little colonies in the backwoods here and there called maroons of escaped slaves. So on August 22nd in 1791, there was a slave rebellion known as the Haitian Slave Rebellion. And this is the only slave rebellion that ever led to not only the founding of a new state, a new government, but it was the only slave rebellion that was then that new government was slavery free and it was ruled by non-whites. So this rebellion revolution actually um lasted until 1804 and at the end an ex-slave named Toussaint Laventure was styled as the conquering hero. Um that will come up later again as well. Also I'm gonna butcher me a whole lot of French names today. Yeah I don't Just I don't like. do French. <laughs> this is deep, deep, heavy French. So after this rebellion, many of the slave-holding planters that had lived in Haiti fled down with their slaves to, or fled up, I guess, with their slaves to Louisiana to begin sugar planting all anew. So some of them that came, among them that came was the Desilon family. They were, came from San Domingo. And they settled and started growing sugar once again in St. John the Baptist Parish. So in Louisiana, they don't have counties like they do in other states. They have what's called parishes. It's county. They just call it parish. So they settled in St. John the Baptist Parish and started um, making sugar again with all their slaves. And included in that count was a young man named Charles. And he will come up again later i feel like i've heard those names before you may have heard some of them um well the trousse Leventur was very we heard about the haitian rebellion in school
0: yeah that name definitely rung, rung a bell mm-hmm. i really really love this drink i need to start drinking this more often i made myself n- not very big one and look at it it's almost all gone
1: <laughs> um okay more on him later so sugar production was hard work. It was year-round work. Um, The slaves were busy almost all of the time with some sort of task. They planted the sugar in January and February. They harvested it in mid-October to December and they actually had to start the grinding and production process in mid-November and this grinding and production process was harsh. Children and adults alike worked in the mills um, and at the harvesting and the harvesting they did with these massive knives where you like gather the cane and then whack at it with this huge knife um so the jamaican train was part of the granulization process and that's what it was called they were they would boil the sugar in this series of boiling boiling pots and these slave women had these big ladles um, with long handles and they had to transfer the liquid from one pot to another pot and on down this train of boiling pots oh and there's just people walking around while this thing is boiling over practically okay so this process continued all the way until the 1840s when there was a free person of color who their name is norbert Rollu they lived from 1806 to 1894 and in 1843 they invented this system of multiple pans inside a vacuum chamber where it would boil over into the next and boil over into the next or whatever and that's how you would granulate it but one website said it was a woman and another website said it was a man
0: that's why i was like you're using a gender gender neutral pronoun i'm like is there a reason for that
1: Well, it was one of the two because it was 1843 and their name was Norbert. So I don't know, but literally one said a black woman, a free black woman of color or a free woman of color. And another side said a free man of color. So I don't know. It was one of the two. So they created this fabulous new invention that took away the um, big pots of boiling sugar everywhere. However, there was still a lot of other dangers. Um, Solomon Northrup, who wrote in his 1853 memoir, 12 Years of Slaves, a slave wrote of the sugar plantations. Um, he said, quote, Along, all along the endless carrier are ranged slave children whose business it was to place the cane upon, meaning it, but meaning these rollers that would take the sugar cane in. When it conveyed them through the shed into the main building. And in another quote, he said, one cane plantation in sugar time Okay, my pen was running out of ink here. On cane plantations in sugar time, there is no distinction as to the day of the week. Reminds me of now. <laughs>
0: I know. I was like, I think we can all understand that.
1: Right. We can now. totally relate to that. Because they ran these things 24 hours a day, seven days a week during this, you know, crushing time because they had to get all the sugar out before the cane rotted. Um they later developed a system where they put it in the ground and covered it with something, but that was much later. Um, but yeah, I feel like that every single day is Friday and every night is Friday night because at the end of the day, you know, you worked, but you feel like you don't have to work the next day. Even but we're still
0: working. Imagine like the people that are laid off or aren't working, you know, it's like, it's gotta be just so like your brain just has gone numb. Right. Oh, for sure.
1: I, um, it's Groundhog Day for us, but I can't even imagine if you didn't have a job that you had to get up for or do, I would be so incredibly bored. I would have watched everything on Netflix.
0: Yeah, for, yeah, for sure.
1: (laughs) And probably gained a lot more weight than I know I have gained already.
0: Yeah, we'll not, we'll not mention the quarantine 15 again.
1: (laughs) (laughs) email us if you've gained yours. <laughs> so anyway, so yeah, he's that every day's the same and it's monotonous and tedious and you just work, work, work all the time, but you had to pay attention to what you were doing because if you didn't pay attention, there were perils, like you could get your arm caught in the rollers and lose an arm. We're talking, talking children into- here, right? Children. Oh, yes. Children, yes, if you are old enough to walk around and pick up a stalk of cane, you're old enough to slap it on that roller and work 12 hours a day. Um, You could fall into a vat of boiling sugar, all kinds of things. And even if you were just caught daydreaming, you would be subject to um, whipping or beating. Um, A woman named Mrs. Webb, who was a former slave, and she wrote about her owner whose name was Babin, McMurmillan, and he had this box that was reminiscent of the um what was that thing the torture chamber that they had with the spikes inside it was like a casket shaped like a girl you know what I'm talking about yeah I don't know the name of it I forgot it. it okay so he made a homemade one of that and it was a box that had nails um in it and he would put the slave that he was punishing in it and close the lid so that you had to stand perfectly still or you would be impaled by the knives or the nails. And then he would place it, or he would place it first probably, outside. So you would either have roaches or flies or ants in the device with you, but you could not wiggle to swat them away or get them off of you because if you did, you would be gored by the nails. Ugh. You know, wonderful way to treat your fellow human being. So, all of that. Louisiana sugar plantations had a very bad reputation of working their slaves just to death. Their, as a whole, the sugar plantations in Louisiana had a death rate that outmatched the birth rate by two to one. Oh my God. They would lose to death twice as many slaves as they gained to birth. Um, and part of that was because they worked the people so hard. Not only did they work them to death, most slaves had a working expectancy the field guys, the ones that were doing all the hard work, of seven years before they would just they were done, either drop dead or no longer functionable. Their, their that machine quote unquote, um, lifespan was seven years. So part of it was due to that, but another part of it was too they. Didn't matter if you were a woman or a man, you're out there working. And when you're that tired, you're either not going to be able to not have the energy to procreate because you're too tired to, or you're not having your normal cycle like you would, you know?
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: It interrupted a lot. So this is the world that our young Charles Deslandes lives and makes his plan. Um, He worked as a slave driver on the Woodland Plantation, which was located about 40 miles north of New Orleans. This area was called the German Coast because it had been settled in the 1721 by John Law and the company called the Indies, the Indies, Company of the Indies. Um, They mostly settled with Germans and the company folded 10 years later, but all the Germans stayed. So that, and then they intermarried with the, louisianans and the french and all the stuff that was already there and that's what started the um it calling it the german coast a lot of them were the acadians which is another fascinating story that i'd like to get into sometime gotta find a cocktail that relates so this particular plantation was owned by a man named manuel audrey and i believe it's i found it spelled a couple of different ways so i have to find andre andre so Manuel Andry, and it was located on the east side of the river. Charles made plans for rebellion. He was what was called a slave driver. So he was kind of, even though he was a person of color, he was a mulatto, which means half, half, but the one drop rule, one drop of Negro blood, you're black, you're a slave. doesn't matter. Um, So he made these plans and he was inspired by Trousseau's successful rebellion um, seven years before in the Haitians. And he also made these plans and he had help from these maroons that were living in the swamps. He had recruited some of them to help. He'd recruited several of the slaves on his own plantation to help. He'd sent word further down the river to other plantations that, hey, we're going to do this. It's going to be a coordinated attack. The idea was it was going to be a two-pronged, attack where his group was going to attack their at their plantation and then march up the river to new orleans and there was going to be another group in new orleans that was going to attack in the city itself and they were going to take over the city and then the two would meet in the city completely take the city and eventually free all of the slaves in louisiana territory that was their plan
0: so were they thinking other slaves would join in along the way when they were like liberated yes
1: Yes, they were and they did they had a group in new orleans and they had his group at his plantation and as he makes his way along he does pick up other people not as many as he probably intended and i'll talk more about that in a minute so that was his plan very well organized they elected leaders they elected both men and women leaders which was kind of cool um, they obtained horses for the leaders to ride on. They had drills. They had drum lines. They had marching. They marched in rows. Some of the people that saw them coming in said that they came in like a military unit, marching in rows in cadence to a drum. So he really had what he was planning. And he started very smartly. He started at the Andree Plantation, the where he worked, um, Manuel Andre was a colonel in the militia and his home was used as the armory. So all of the militia uniforms were there. All of the militia weapons and the ammunition was all there at that plantation where they started. So they started out with their cane knives and axes and hoes and just whatever weapon they could get their hands on at first. They stormed the Andre plantation, they ransacked the plantation, they wound colonel andry they hit him in the head with an axe and they wound him they kill his son um, and another man named jean francois treasure i don't know who he was but they killed him but they did not kill colonel andry and while they were raiding getting the weapons and the uniforms they put on the uniforms because that was something that Trousseau had done pronouncing his name wrong, I know, in Haiti. And he wa- he was trying to style his rebellion after his. So they put on the militia uniforms um, that they raided. But while they were doing that, Andrea escaped. And that was part of their undoing. Part of their undoing, not the whole thing. So they started then from there and they started marching on. Um, they're gathering people as they go. They ended up being about 150 strong Some, you know, give or take, a lot of sources will say there were about 500, but they've disproven that by now. So as they marched, they started shouting "freedom or death," and on to New Orleans. So they were singing this as a cadence as they marched:
0: "Freedom or death." Fifty is not that many people either.
1: It's not. And as they went along, they would they would burn and plunder these plantations, and the idea was to kill the planters as they went on. They eventually burned five plantations, three of them all the way to the ground. Two of them were put out. But what they found out later, they didn't kill any other white people. Just that those two guys or all the guys that died. And they found out later what happened is the slaves warned their owners. And they all went off to New Orleans. Early. Oh, wow. Why would they I, do that? I don't know. It's, it's crazy. And as I read later, the not to be like stereotypical or you know well i guess it is i don't know but what i'm what i have read is these particular owners these french descended people french people were very cruel um to their slaves as a whole as far as like compared to slaves in other states the ones in new orleans were treated poorly or not New Orleans in Louisiana were treated badly. And so why would they warn them? I don't know, but they did. Stockholm syndrome maybe?
0: Maybe that or maybe just if it was unsuccessful, they didn't want to be the ones that got as harshly punished for hmm. the whole thing happening. Is the only
1: thing I can think of. That makes sense. Hey, I wasn't part of this. I told you about it. Yeah. I like, had my hands off. It wasn't me. Yeah, don't sense. punish me. That makes sense. That's a good that's a good thinking. Um So they're marching along, they, um, during the night of the 9th, so they get a little ways there, and the morning of the 10th, the march was halted by soldiers, there was a detachment of regular US troops and two companies of militia, they were led by, they were on, the the fight was on the Jacques Fortier's plantation in St. Charles Parish, they fought for two days. No white people died, (laughs) because they had guns, 66 slaves were killed, and 75 were captured and held held for questioning. That's like Um,
0: half their amount.
1: Pretty much. Um, There were some that did run off to the Maroons. However, many of those that ran off were wounded, and their corpses were found later. So they, like, got part way and then died, succumbed to their wounds. So it was kind of sad. Um, of the, not kind of sad, it was sad. Of the 75 that they held for questioning, they um, quote unquote tried 25 of them. They held their trial at Noel Dresdant's plantation. Um, it consisted of an entire day of tribunal, just one day, it's all they needed. They condemned to death 18 slaves. So here's where you're going to want to fast forward if your tummy is queasy. And just keep fast forwarding until, I don't know, until you hear something that's not gross. So 18 of these people were um, sentenced to die. 16 of them were executed. After they were executed, they were executed by firing squad. So that's reasonably humane. However, After they were executed, this is 1811 in Louisiana, not part of the United States at this time, but still, they removed their heads and placed them on pikes and displayed them along 60 miles of the river as a deterrent for other slaves. Oh, gross. In 1811, then poor little Charles, now he is the mastermind of this whole thing. But what they did to him, they cut off his hands and then they sat him in a chair and proceeded to shoot him in the thighs multiple times until both of his femurs were shattered. Ow. Then they shot him in the chest. He is still alive. Then they took him and they placed him in a bundle of straw and quote unquote roasted him until he was dead and then they dismembered his body and displayed him um, around New Orleans as a deterrent to slaves as well.
0: Wow, that's harsh, really harsh.
1: One New Orleans planter said of the heads that they looked like crows sitting on long holes. Oh. So punishment, harsh, gross, nasty, stunned that it happened on this continent in 1811, but Apparently it did. Um, I read quite a bit of correspondence between the governor and of the territory, Claiborne and other people involved in putting down the rebellion and just other correspondence um, about the trial, quote unquote. I'm gonna read from one of those in a little bit but I wanted to talk about some other things first. Um, Performance artist Dred Scott did a reenactment of the rebellion in November, 2019. He had people march down dressed in period clothing and they, they sewed clothes and planned this for years and it was really neat um, to watch and see in the, in the videos that they had. Um, the Whitney Plantation Museum had an exi- exhibit about the rebellion. As part of that exhibit, not sure about this, you know, art subjective though, they commissioned from artist Woodrow Nash, 63 ceramic heads. And they put them on spikes and put them around the pond to resemble the river. The photos were disturbing.
0: I I was gonna say that's super provocative, but it definitely makes a point.
1: It makes a point for sure, but I'm not, I don't know. I don't know, art's subjective. But anyway, I wanted to read this um, quote from this soldier. He was just a soldier. The letter was dated March 20th, 1811. I don't know who it was going to. He was an army officer in the U.S. Army um, at the New Orleans garrison. So it's, it's not super long, but it's a little long. So quote, this is all his letter. I have at last arrived at this great city in 14 days for ad alms started the 23rd of November and arrived here just the seventh instant. I have delayed in writing till this time, expecting to hear from the coast above. On the ninth instant, the Negroes assembled in a body and got possession of a sugar house and about three leagues above this place to the number of 180 or more, killed one or two overseer men and threatened the general destruction. An express arrived at this place to Claiborne, which is the general, and the whole town are under army day and night. General Hampton, with a detachment of artillery from this garrison, are up the coast and have now been for several days. Negro fighting. Their ill treatment is said to be the cause of the rebellion. When I got within within about 25 leagues of this place, I got out of the boat with Mr. and walked, Mr., and then it was redacted, I don't know why it was redacted from 1811, but apparently it's still important. <laughs> and walked to New Orleans. We slept one night on the levee and were refused house room among the French rascals. I plead with them to lie on the platform under the portico of their house and, kept, and keep the dew off of me. But no, emphasis mine, they are without a doubt the most inhumane, unfriendly, and disobliging rascals in the world. One Negro has a peck of corn per month for his allowance and some have blankets and some without. I could stand by and laugh all the time to see a few French planters on the coast murdered by their Negroes. Oh my God. So he had no love for the French. (laughs) He was having a tantrum. He was, well, yes, but he asked people if he could sleep under their porch and they said no. Well, sorry, but... And I thought it was interesting that in 1911, or 1811, pardon me, he's commenting on the fact that people are being given one peck of corn for the entire month, and some of them are without blankets. And he's commenting on how cruel that is, you know, and that was 1811, so I just, I found that interesting that he was making that observation at that time. Okay, what are you going to tell me about, and I'm going to enjoy my drink.
0: So this is actually a super crazy story. I'm surprised, like, it's not really more prevalent here in this country, but I'm going to tell you about the Hungarian ri- whiskey robber. Okay. It's a fairly recent story. Um, so first I'll go into his early life. Um, the whiskey robber, a.k.a. Attila Ambrus.
1: I want to be a whiskey robber.
0: I mean, he didn't rob whiskey, but that was the oh. name he was given. Um, Attila Ambrus was born on October 6th, 1967 in Eastern Transylvania, um, Romania. Okay. But he was born to a Hungarian family.
1: Okay. So. And are the Hungarians treated well in that area of the world? Or is this a case of you're not the right people for the right place? It's, well, so.
0: By the time I get to that fact, it could have been different than it was in 1967. So I'm not 100% sure, but at one point, it was not cool to be Hungarian in Romania. People suck. Yeah, but I don't know if it was like that at this time. It's, there was a big group of Hungarians that lived in this area of Romania um, gotcha. when, when Ambrose was born. So, okay. in fact... In the 60s, Romania's Transylvania area had tens of thousands of Hungarians who left Hungary to find their fortune. And also during this time, they were both communist countries. So everyone was really just looking to get what they could get.
1: Right. What kind of fortune are they supposed to find in Transylvania? Was there a boom of something there?
0: Don't know. Okay. I didn't go that much into the 60s part of this because everything happens like in the 90s so oh gotcha okay yeah so at a young age ambrose was in trouble with the law a lot um he committed petty thefts like when he stole musical instruments from a local pub oh he even served two years at a juvenile detention facility Mm -hmm. but later he joined the romanian army like a good young man would do to try and you know turn his life around join the army but it was a short stint so um after the army ambrose decided that he was done with romania so in 1988 which would have made him like 21 he mm-hmm. crossed romania's border by riding underneath a freight train
1: oh my gosh
0: yeah so, it's so scary i know so he ended up in hungary and when there while there he applied for political asylum and citizenship and he eventually was able to get hungarian citizenship in 1994 so hungary in 1990 or 1988 was just starting to topple its communist government whereas romania oh. was still in the midst of it so he he got there kind of at the right time and again he was like i have opportunity i'm here to find my find my fortune yeah i want to work so ambrose did speak hungarian but it was like this antique version so he um and this this will come into play later and it's kind of funny but so he's in hungary and he's doing all these odd jobs he um what he was a grave digger at one point which you know, that's labor, that's honest work, but he also did have a stint where he was smuggling pelts back to Romania.
1: (laughs) So things that were happening, that's crazy, because just the thought of smuggling pelts in the 90s, that's not something that you would think of as happening in the 90s. You think of that as like an 1850s job.
0: Yeah, no, he was, he was doing it, and also grave digging. I mean, I know you still have to do it, but it seems like such an ancient job.
1: Yeah, well, he does. It say if he was actually digging with a shovel or was he using a backhoe? It didn't say. Yeah, um, this story reminds me of remember that book series that we read by Ken Follett. Yes. The, the I don't remember which one this millennium was in the type of story. No, the Winter of the World series, where it goes the whole century, the twentieth century.
0: Yeah, it was called like the Mil- Millennium series or something like that. Oh,
1: was it? I thought it was called Winter. Of the I guess one of the books was called Winter of the World. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that but was- it reminds me of the Russian portion of that. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so then he decided to try out for a spot on Hungary's professional hockey league.
1: <laughs> That's quite a um, leap there to go from grave digging and pelt smuggling to professional hockey player.
0: Yeah, and he was terrible, but he <laughs> managed to talk his way into... Being on the roster as a spare goaltender, and he also would double as the Zambroni driver and the team's janitor.
1: That is dedication. If I can't be first string, I'll drive your Zamboni and I will clean up after the people leave.
0: So, the team's manager this is the funny part the team's manager in an interview later um, called him like, something like the the Romanian or the Hungarian or Romanian Shakespeare because his Hungarian was so old-fashioned, that it was oh. like, he was like talking how Shakespeare would be talking to us.
1: Oh, I feel badly for him. He's just trying to make his way in this poor snow-trodden country. He just wants to play hockey.
0: Yeah, and also, I mean, he was given a salary. It was small, but he was given money. And also he had a room that he could stay in that was like super tiny, but he had a place to sleep while he was on the hockey team.
1: Which that's
0: huge. So his teammates said that even though he was terrible at hockey, he never miss, missed a practice or a match in eight years. And they gave him the nickname, the, Pan- the Panther from Sisk, which was the region in Romania, like the specific region. It was from. see
1: that's dedication that's you know you show up to practice you work hard you'll still be on the team you have a closet to sleep in right so hockey
0: he was a his hockey career was over so um at this point he went back to odd jobs and by this time there was this horrible attitude towards hungarians from transylvania in hungary ooh and he was feeling it, so he did not like it, and it was hard for him to hide because of his ancient Hungarian, which I'm sure had gotten better to some, by this time to some point, but yeah. he, in an interview later, when talking about this time, he said, I realized that you can't achieve anything without money, and whoever has money has power. So oh. he decided that he needed to get money.
1: No, gotta have money.
0: So he goes out, he buys a wig, he shaves off his beard. He left his mustache, but he was gonna shave it later on. And he began to surveil targets for robberies.
1: Because that's an easy way to get money. hmm So- I don't know that I would risk a Hungarian prison. Yeah, I mean, I don't,
0: I don't know what they were like, but. It doesn't sound pleasant. It couldn't have been as bad as living in his closet doing odd jobs maybe so the first the first time he does this he puts his disguise on and so he gets his wig on he darkens his mustache and eyebrows with mus with mascara he uh, got a toy gun and then he had a glass of whiskey oh bless his heart i know and then he completed his first heist this was in january of 1993 and he made away with 460,000 forints, which is about $4,000. Oh, that's not bad. That's not bad, especially in 1993 in Hungary. I'm sure it was decent. Yeah. So
1: later on. I realize I'm rooting for a, a bad guy.
0: You're not the only one.
1: Stop rooting for the bad guy. <laughs> yeah.
0: So later on, he was quoted saying, I'd never seen so much money. That's when I realized how easy it was to make money without having a nine to five job. So he was hooked. Oh. So after his first successful heist, he did another one two months later. This time he brought home six hundred and sixty thousand florins, which was almost about sixty two hundred dollars.
1: Wow! So I would not think his robbery is being that lucrative. Well, what who was he robbing? Banks and post
0: offices mostly.
1: Oh, interesting. Huh.
0: In a little bit, like we'll go into some of the reasons why, but um. He decided that he would buy a car, and some of his former hockey teammates were like, hey, where'd you get the car? And he said yeah. that he was smuggling animal skins, and he was also a gigolo. So they are like, okay, oh. that checks out.
1: <laughs> so he was dead sexy.
0: He, You know, I've seen recent pictures of him, like, today, and he's not bad. Like, he's not a bad-looking man. So I don't know what he looked like in 1993.
1: See, that is the downfall of most criminals, I think. They spend the loot. Yeah. They can't spend the loot. Not that I'm trying to, you know, have a school for criminals, but.
0: Yeah. So after these successful robberies, he became addicted to the rush. And in an, another interview later, like af- way, way later, he said, it became like a game. When I started getting into the role, I kind of got an urge and I managed to give authorities a ride so many times it became something of a sport. After a while, my main point was to
1: succeed. So he's drinking his own Kool Aid and believing his own press.
0: It kind of reminded me of um, Tom Justice, the bike riding robber that I did the story of. Yeah. Ooh, I'm so cocky.
1: I am smarter than you. And that's using a bright orange bike. (laughs) (laughs) Is he still using
0: his toy gun at this point? Um, Well, funny that you should ask that, because my next sentence is, after a while, Ambrose graduated to using a real gun.
1: Oh, good for him. Yeah. Sometimes he
0: worked with an accomplice, like different accomplices. Sometimes he worked alone, but there was always one thing that he did. He drank a glass of whiskey before each robbery.
1: See, that's part of his downfall, I bet, is when you involve other people, now somebody else knows your secret. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. But yeah. that's funny. He drank, did it say what brand whiskey he drank?
0: It doesn't say, it did never said a brand. It just said a glass of whiskey. So I'm imagining like a glass tumbler of full of whiskey.
1: Right. Like a water glass that we would think of like huge. <laughs>
0: yeah. So Hungary, Hungary's police force yeah. was pretty incompetent. And because of this, Ambrose was starting. Totally surprising. Yeah. Um, ambrose was starting to become somewhat of a local folk hero
1: that doesn't surprise me either yeah like bonnie and Clyde type
0: totally and so in the early 1990s hungary had only been a free country for a few years so there was no organized crime during the communist rule yeah so banks and post offices they had no idea that robbery was even a thing they weren't prepared for it the police weren't prepared for it um there was nobody thinks to look at oh history yeah there was no like security guards or cameras really anywhere one bank did have a camera but the image talking 1990s again was so low resolution that it was just like useless yeah so up until the early 90s there were so few robberies in hungary that police didn't even have a standard protocol for solving these kind of crimes
1: Oh my goodness.
0: They didn't know how to collect evidence. They didn't know how to follow like clues, nothing. And they couldn't think to call any of the other countries in Europe. Or even like, Hey, America, you've had a lot of bank robberies. (laughs) (laughs) Like a lot. (laughs) It's kind of a thing there. (laughs) Going back. Oh, a hundred years or so. What do you do? (laughs) Let's see. Oh, they, um, one of the, an interview. So there was, like there was a book and a few articles that were written about this person. And so one of the people interviewed was this Hungarian sociologist. And he said that, um, he said that when police are widely seen as corrupt and incompetent, everybody will cheer on a robber.
1: Oh, and he, for sure. Yeah, which makes total and sense. I and mean, the economy is bad too, because like, hey, you're taking one for the team. You're taking their money mm-hmm. that should, you know, we don't have any money. They have money, take it.
0: Yeah, and so the sociologist also said, this is a quote, the Hungarian police have a credibility crisis. They are very active against gypsies or juvenile delinquents, but they are absolutely inept at dealing with big issues. There is tangible resentment in the Hungarian psyche towards the state. Most or all state officers and those in power, it is normal in this post-socialist country to support those who are weaker and who take risks not to pay taxes to the state.
1: Right, root for the underdog. Yep. So they because kind of saw these him- are too busy trying to bust the guy that's graffitiing the bridge and not worried about the guy that's robbing the bank.
0: Yeah. And so they kind of saw him as like a well, Robin Hood character. Corrupt things as well. Sorry, I totally talked over to you. No, they were doing corrupt things as well. Yeah. Um, this might be my, like, one of my favorite, um, anecdotes. So, during the 13th robbery in August of 1996,
1: Ambrose was- 13th robbery?
0: Yeah. (laughs) Ambrose was in a local pub. He was having his whiskey, and he ended up- Oh, he
1: didn't drink his whiskey at home.
0: He went out to to drink his whiskey. Yeah, he went to a, a, somewhere local near all the places he robbed. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, so he's in this bar having his whiskey and, um, of course, and then he goes into the bank and he goes in in disguise. And this time he's disguised as Lajos Varju, the colonel of Hungary's robbery division. He legit disguised himself as the head of the robbery division. That's so, hysterical. Like, during the bank robbery, one of the bank employees called the police and the officer that took the call said, are you sure you're having a robbery? And then a few minutes later, the real Laos Varju and his men headed Uh to the bank. Two police cars crashed on the way. Oh, my gosh. And a a television station was already on the air at the scene doing a live report when police arrived.
1: Oh my goodness. So of course. This is a comedy movie. This is a slapstick keystone cop comedy.
0: It is. I was going to say at the beginning, I'm going to, I was going to say I've got whiskey. I've got Keystone Cops. I've got hockey. I've got Transylvania. I've got it all.
1: (laughs) Okay. We need to find a movie producer who will make the movies of some of these stories that we have found because some of them are funny. This
0: movie has actually already been optioned. It just hasn't been made. Gotcha. So, um, yeah, of course the whiskey robber was gone and the TV reporter on live TV turns to the camera and says, and last but not least, here come the police. (laughs) That's funny. So I thought that one made me laugh. And so then like later it's in March now, 1998, there was a gunfight that occurred between Ambrose and the police after a passerby called in a robbery. And this time Ambrose was working with an accomplice. So now like some of these, yeah. So now some of these robberies were getting dangerous and he previously was always known for being completely nonviolent. One of his nicknames was the gentleman bandit. That was one of the ones they used in the press because they didn't know about the whiskey yet. So he wasn't called that.
1: Um, which is part of the reason that people probably liked him because when Bonnie and Clyde started to get sadistic and mean that's when people started to turn against them. Yes.
0: And so then let's go to robbery number 27. 27. So, uh-huh. So during number 27 Ambrose's accomplice was caught and the police had finally kind of started getting their grasp on how to how to um trail their suspects. <laughs>
1: And They'd read a book.
0: Yeah. So of course Ambrose takes off. He ends up escaping. He jumps down the bank of the Danube River. He went home, got his car, passport, and his dog, and he headed for Romania. He got his dog, his car, passport, and dog. Yeah, and then he headed. for to So by that time, the police had interrogated Ambrose's accomplice, and the border guards had been alerted. So
1: I knew they- the accomplice was going to be the downfall.
0: Yep. They finally caught Ambrose. And by this time in total, he had grossed about 196 million forints or $800,000. So for all,
1: yeah,
0: that's a lot of money for a robber. So he was sentenced to 17 years in jail, but they never recovered any of the money, but it's most likely that he spent it all because he really liked gambling and cars and girls. He was still the folk hero, and they. he was also known for having a colorful personality. Like, sometimes he gave the bank tellers flowers before he robbed them. And <laughs> once... Yeah. And one time, he even had wine delivered to the police investigators who were assigned to his case. Okay, he's funny. Yeah. So, um, as like I... Him. Is it wrong that I like him? No, everybody likes him. Maybe not his maybe not the Hungarian police force, but right. by this time, like the media, just like they're comparing him to Robin Hood. Like I said, they're compared him to Australia's Ned Kelly and he's just a thing, but it gets, it gets better. So in 1989, okay. he escaped from prison by weaving strips of bed sheets, towels, shoelaces, and computer cables together. And he he left out of a fourth floor window, but the rope was too short. So he had to drop the last two meters.
1: <laughs> two meters is not big. Two that's meters? What, six feet? Mm, yeah.
0: Like, oh, I don't do a conversion. Not- it's more than six feet, but. So after the escape, he was like a superstar in Hungary. There was a rap song written about him. There was an energy drink named after him. They were going to make a video game. They named
1: an energy drink after him. Yes. That's hysterical.
0: I don't think the video game ever happened. But um, one of the newspapers called him our national hero, the bank robber. Our national hero, the bank robber. Yeah. That says a lot. I know. Hungarian police are just humiliated and ashamed, so they put everybody on the case. They had over 300 police officers assigned to look for him.
1: So when they catch him, his punishment is going to be so much bigger just because they embarrassed, the police force was embarrassed on this national stage. Maybe.
0: Um, So... Anyway, so Ambrose knew he needed to run, but he decided that he needed to do one more robbery to set himself up for life.
1: Okay. So in October- Oh, so he still has some money. He must have hid some of it somewhere. Maybe.
0: I mean, it never really says, and they mentioned that he probably had spent it all, but maybe he wanted to do one more big one and just get some money. That could be. But so this is October now of 1999- this time, instead of his glass of whiskey, he had almost a whole bottle of whiskey, and he burst. Don't into change the routine. Never change the routine. <laughs> he burst into the bank, and it was in downtown Budapest. And he yelled, "You know who I am. I have nothing to lose." Oh, honey. So this time, he made a- made away with millions of forints, and he shot his gun into the air, and he fled into an alley. And there he hid for hours in a parked car before finally getting to his hideaway. He made it to his hideaway safely. Okay. But what he didn't know is that he dropped his telephone card. Do you remember
1: those? Yes. Calling cards. Okay, so I were, at that time, I was doing my, well, close to that time. It was more, well, I guess it was earlier. It was probably like 93, 94. But I was doing my student teaching at a little tiny school, and that was, the only phone that we had was a, a dial phone in the staff room. And we were not allowed to make quote unquote long distance phone calls. But because, you know, it was a tiny little school, everything is long distance. If I wanted to call home because I lived in a different town, it was long distance. So I had to buy telephone cards so that I could make phone calls from my job to my house or my neighbor or my friend or my mom or whatever,
0: Yes, Ambrose also had to have a phone card. and This time they um, collected it and they were able to link one of the numbers to his hideout. And so they sent 400 police officers to go arrest him. They
1: sent how many police officers to arrest him? 400. How many guys are they arresting? One guy. Can you say overkill?
0: Yes. But anyway, he was arrested without incident. He went back to prison um, to just serve out the rest of his term, and he. Didn't
1: they tack on more for the new robbery?
0: Not. It didn't say that they did. They may have, but um, he got released early. So he was released in two thousand and twelve for good behavior, which was early than what earlier than what his sentence would have been. Okay. And so they're like, you can look up, there's some videos of interviews with him, like current videos or fairly current videos. Uh-huh. Um, but they're all in, I'm uh, probably Romanian and so they're subtitled and it was too much for me. So I didn't watch much of it, but anyway, <laughs> he lives in Romania now and he's makes pottery. Oh yeah. And as I mentioned, there's been numerous songs written about him. There's books there is a movie, but it's, I think, Hungarian. It's in Hungarian, but it was really popular in Britain. It's subtitled, like, you can watch it. Oh. And um, at one point, I don't know if it's still current, but Johnny Depp um, ha- was optioned on an American version of the story. So I used mostly um, the first. Independent UK and Euronews. Oh, I want to see the American
1: version of this story
0: yeah and then i also used hockeynews.com wikipedia but mostly the independent uk was the
1: biggest source uh-huh. for this. but he's oh. so cool he's very cool i think both of our guys were coo- are cool our my guy just had a very tragic ending mine's Your guy
0: was awesome he's more whiskey <laughs> sweet than whiskey sour
1: Correct. He's whiskey sweet rather than with, I love that. That's very smart. That's very smart. So yeah, I did the sweet sweet portion of our drink being sugar and you did the whiskey portion of our drink.
0: Yes. And so that's my story of the Hungarian whiskey robber.
1: I like it. So this has been bread talk and parenting talk by the crime and time girls crime and time in the oven. (laughs) Crime and time in the oven. So um, go on your thing, whatever it may be, and rate and review us. We had recently somebody um, reviewed us and they sent us a um, screenshot of her review via
0: our email, which is what? Crime and time OTR at gmail.com.
1: So send us a screenshot of your review and we will send you a sticker, which our stickers are... Awesome, they are our logo, which was designed by child number one.
0: Yeah, they're pretty cool. Especially when she was like, what, 12?
1: At, no, she was younger than that. She had to have been like- 11? 11, 10 or 11. Yeah. yeah. And she did it in like 30 minutes on her phone. And it bothers her so much now, because she's like, I could do a better job, but you won't let me redo it. Because you yeah. like it. But Just rate because- us, review us, make us more easy to find. Just
0: because she wasn't an expert at that time. I mean, guess what? No. We're not either.
1: We're not either. We're what?
0: Just drunks. We're
1: totally drunks.
0: Bye. As always, you can contact us on Facebook at Crime and Time OTR.
1: On Instagram, we are Crime and Time OTR. On Twitter, we're at Crime and Time OTR. And our email is crime and time OTR at gmail.com. Email is where, you'll want to, where you will want to send us cocktail suggestions things you want to learn about yeah Yeah. or just say hi or just say hi and we also have a new patreon page if you want to buy us a drink buy us a drink so that is patreon.com slash crime and time otr and we're going to be offering some perks for our patrons absolutely i'm excited
0: see you there thank you for listening